0: Happy December new week new month on the call up here and we are still going to be recapping a little bit from the 2023 season before the calendar flips but of course we wanted to get one more look back at 2023 before we get to the point where hey the winter meetings start really kicking off all of a sudden we get the rule five draft and we're not going to be able to look back anymore so we wanted to talk about our Biggest surprises, both positive and negative uh, on the player side. So individuals, Jack brought three. I brought three on both ends of the spectrum. Jack, I know that we more enjoy the positive side of things, but we can't just always ignore the negative. And the negative in this is more, I was excited to see what you would do, or I thought you could do better than this. You might not be cooked, but 2023 was disappointing because, I expect more. And that's, that's it. It's not, it's not a bash party here.
1: Yeah. I, the way that I kind of viewed it was I was seeking guys that I was really excited to watch in 2023 and they kind of fell by the wayside at the end of 2023. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is not their prospect pedigree is entirely gone. We're talking about a guy that is still, I don't want to say consensus, but it is still a, a top 100 prospect on most outlets for one of my disappointments. But the thing about him is I was so excited to see what this guy would do at a new level at a really young age and he was really disappointing yeah so that's kind of how I viewed it I'm excited to get into it but happy winter meetings Yeah. I need you to tell me about this Phillips cat that's going from Atlanta to Seattle uh and then before that my favorite part of the winter meetings yes is the transactions but I think my second favorite part is you have everybody in the same place and they're all required to do at least some form of media. So Alex Anthopoulos was on MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM on Monday morning. And he was asked about younger guys that could break through in 2024. And he said he does believe Hurston Waldrop will see Atlanta sometime in 2024. Yeah. Which is fun to hear. And, you know, I think we could expect that because he did get to AAA last year. But for AA to say that on December 4th, is like that shot of serotonin that I think yeah. baseball fans need.
0: Yeah, no doubt. It just gets you excited. It gets you feeling like, Hey, it's going to be all hands on deck. And, and one of those situations where, especially when they're trading away some of these other, you know, depth arms that it shows you that it's a lot of the reason why is because of the confidence they have in wall And, you know, now they were able to move some spots, open some spots on the 40 man with arms. You know, we talk about some of the guys that went outward, right. They, they, they trade a couple, and uh, in, in a Schuster. And, and we could talk about a the whole
1: gun. Yeah.
0: Like so many, but the, the reality is like waldrip's probably better than all of those guys, even as an unfinished, unfinished product. If he get to the big leagues next year um, in, in some sort of relief role or, or spot start or short start uh, type of capacity with Phillips. So this was this trade saying on the Braves kind of topic here before we jump into it, what a wild deal um, that, you know, I, I understand it, and I think that the big part of it, and I don't know what the exact money being exchanged between the Mariners and the Braves, you know, was. I don't think we have the exact dollar amount. But do you have the full trade breakdown? So it would have been Jared Kelnick, which is, yes. you know, what a roller coaster ride of uh, from from the prospect intrigue to the trade to you know, oh wow, how could you ever trade him for these guys and Cano and and Diaz, and then now it's. Uh, okay, we're using him as a in part of a salary dump. You know, I'm excited to see what Kelnick does in Atlanta, but I mean, they attached him to that deal to be able to unload uh, a lefty and Marco Gonzalez, who's good when healthy, but had nerve issues uh, and is owed $12 million. I just don't think they want to pay $12 million to see how the nerve issues kind of work out, and then also attach Evan White and that pre-arb deal that now has. What 8 million and then a 10 million dollar option next
1: year attached to it it's got seven committed this year then eight committed in 2025 and then club options for 10 11 and 12.5 which are going to be declined as quick at a two million million dollar cost because that's going to be what the buyout i think costs uh, in that first year
0: so i mean they, they dumped a lot of money there
1: they're saving 15 total in Evan White. And this year alone in 2024, 12.25 plus seven is 19.25. They're saving nearly $20 million that they can allocate elsewhere. And Kowar is on the minimum. Does Coar make the roster? I don't know. Phillips is with double A arm? No. So Phillips is the
0: interesting one because he hasn't thrown yet as a pro. So what's interesting with Phillips is, second round pick, Braves really excited about him. And I think this is the Mariners probably attacking it from the lens of hey, we're not going to get a, you know, a Murphy, we're not going to get a, a Schwellenbach. We're, we're not going to get those kind of arms in this deal. So if we have to go a notch below, uh we want as much upside. And, and Cole Phillips was up to 99, uh, 98, 99, 63, big kid out of California who had a good slider as well and and really saw his stock rise. Then unfortunately had to go Tommy John undergo Tommy John surgeries. We see with so many guys that have that like rapid uptick from low nineties to upper nineties, just a lot of strain on the arm. Um, so gets the Tommy John and he was hopefully going to come back at the end of last year. Not, there was no explanation as to why he didn't, maybe they just could have aired on the side of caution, just turned 20 years old. So if he comes back and is healthy, this is a super high upside arm, but, I think the Braves looked at it like we prefer Schwellenbach. We, we prefer you know Murphy. We prefer Smith-Schauver. We prefer all of these other guys that are further I mean, along. Yeah. we got to part with somebody. It's got to hurt a little bit. And I think they were okay with a guy that's probably four years away.
1: Well, and probably Burkhalter, too. Blake Burkhalter, where they took out of Auburn. Uh, yeah. I think that was last year in the third round or something. And that guy was a Tommy John guy, but, again, electric fastball. So they have a bunch of – I don't want to say middling guys, but a bunch of guys that can be swingmen types. Yep. Um, I'm fascinated by what Atlanta is going to do on the trade front because you hear these positive sentiments about Hurston Waldrop and, and you see them kind of clearing the runway. Do they go get a top flight starting pitcher and do they part with an A.J. smith shaver I hope they don't. I think smith shaver can be a huge piece of what they're doing in 2024, from a Mariner's perspective, I, I tweeted when this like went down because it was what, 1130 at night. When of it course. went down, I said, I tried really hard to comprehend, but now I'm crying and my head hurts and I'm going to go to bed. And as soon as I sent that out, I saw a Heyman tweet, this makes a lot of sense for Seattle kind of clearing the runway to go make a play at Soto. And I think that makes a ton of sense because they cleared up 20, Soto's owed about 27, they have that room now financially and we know they have the pitching depth to go give the padres what they need
0: and they cleared up 13 with with suarez so they're clearing the runway for something here i'm with you because you got the 20 there you got the 13 with with suarez as well you're around 30 million depending on how much you kicked in you know into this deal yeah. they're doing something they're going to do something. So uh, I'm very excited to see what that looks like. And, you know, we talked about the Mariners aggressively depleting the farm when they went out and got Castillo and they went out and made some of these other moves. Uh, it's already kind of replenished. You know, this is one of the systems that you know I thought strong drafting and some, some good IFA, you know, pickups, and now identifying some of these pieces here and there, like a Phillips who's going to be healthy early in this year. And, um, you know, we'll see how Maco progresses and some of these other guys, like, I like, I like what they've been able to do. Uh, and I like the way that they've been able to kind of reload the system. And um, I'm just, they better reinvest the money. It's going to be tough to sell if they don't reinvest that money on the brave side. I like getting some pitching depth with Marco Gonzalez. If he's healthy, it's worth a flyer. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> so let's jump into these. I we'll, we'll start with the disappointments as you kind of mentioned before we, we started recording and it resonated with me I like to, to end with the good, right? We don't want to end with the bad. So Let's start with the guys that, you know, somewhat disappointed. Uh, I, I'll I'll start with a bonus one because we're going to go 3-3 and then we're going to switch the other way and, and go on the positive end. I'll start with a bonus and we'll just talk Drew Jones real quick because I, we wanted to bring guys that were unique disappointments to us. Um, and, you know, of course, there's going to be overlap with a lot of other people in the prospect community. But just in terms of guys that we talked about in the open, we were just kind of more jazzed about or at least had some strong expectations for, you know, there's definitely a bunch of players that are probably disappointed, but I just wasn't really circled on them and and wasn't dialed in on them. Drew Jones, everybody was dialed in on, right? I mean, he's the number two overall pick in the draft. He's the son of Andrew Jones. He's just. He's had all the hype in the world and and, and a lot of excitement around him. He's an elite defender. He can absolutely fly. Um, I I love everything I've seen from him in terms of the way he handles himself, his interviews. Like he seems like a a pro's pro and it was a tough year for him. It really was. And I think it was disappointing through the lens of really not showing any signs of adjustment and improvement because I, I had a pretty strong feeling that he was going to struggle, right? We talked about it from the beginning about how that swing was just going to need to adapt. That's okay. You're drafting the best athlete at number two with bloodlines who's shown at least the feel to put bat on ball, you know, hand-eye-wise. And you figure that's a guy, okay, I'll teach Andrew Jones' son to have a little bit more of a mechanically efficient swing. He's an 80-grade defender in the outfield, most likely by the time he's done developing. He's got the power. He's got the speed. It's all good. But he struggles out of the gate. Then you see him kind of hit the the develop. I don't know if they officially put him on the development list, but he, he's pulled from games, right? You don't see him play in any games in low A anymore. Then he appears a little bit at the complex and then he appears back again in low A. And the swing still looks equally brutal. Um, it's a step in the bucket. He's totally pulling out. The 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 path is just so short and in and out of the zone and incredibly flat. And it is is a really it has to be. An inside pitch that he can inside out swing because he's pulling off of it and the path is so short or it just has to be a little flare that he catches off the end. If you look at the spray charts, he had more balls hit the
1: other way than pull side. Like that's a guy whose path
0: is jacked up.
1: Yeah, so basketball comp here, but shoulder issue that derailed a guy's technique that got him this much hype going into everything. Markel Fultz. Yeah. You know, I was so excited for Markel Fultz and then he deals with a shoulder <laughs> thing and then he can't shoot. I'm like, oh, well, this is cooked. And thankfully, Fultz has carved out a little bit of a career for himself. But, you know, we were talking about this guy is better than Tatum. He went before Jason Tatum and like not to totally derail a basketball. But I Drew Jones, I wonder how much the shoulder is affecting him in the long term. Carroll, it clearly didn't. Right. And and I think that a lot of people are not going to give Drew Jones the benefit of the doubt health wise because they can point to Corbin Carroll two years before that and say, hey, Carroll went through the same shit and he was a unanimous rookie of the year and he's a top 10 player in baseball this past year. Why can't you follow that track with your Hall of Fame dad? That's so unfair. Um, I'm rooting hard for Drew Jones. I just wonder like how comfortable he feels with this surgically repaired shoulder. It's it's an important note and, and
0: definitely something that I probably should have uh, led with because, you know, that was right at the beginning of his pro career, very similar to Corbin Carroll. I think, you know, and again, this is you know, mostly just speculation. I don't know. I'm sure that it had some sort of adverse effect that had that lead shoulder. It gets stiff. It's just hard, but Carroll had a good swing, right? So yeah, those, those inefficiencies that may come from stiffness and 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 a little bit of of a shoulder issue, I think could be exacerbated when you know even when, when you don't have a great swing. So I think those those hiccups in the swing mechanics, you know, yeah. only got worse when he dealt with that shoulder issue, and I think it exposed it a little bit further. So regardless, he's going to need to to clean up that swing. I'm sure he's been working hard on it in the off season. I think he could still become a a star player and be a very good player, but you know, it was a disappointment and, and there's no way around that. That's the bonus guy. Then we'll jump into now each of our, our three. And again, there's going to be so many different players. If there's someone that on the positive side or the negative side stood out to you, p- please feel free to, to comment on the YouTube side and let us know, you know, who you thought, you know, stood out on one end of the spectrum or the other um, or tweet at us, you know, at arm weight, Nate at Jack McMullen, or, you know, on, on the ups Twitter, Jack, I'll give it to you for uh, you know the the guys that disappointed. Um, you went with two pitchers and a hitter, um, all yeah. kind of different areas of uh, different divisions, different areas of the country, different types of players. It's a fun mix. Um, unfortunately, un not fun to to talk about, but right. I think important players to hit on because I think two of them were expected last year to potentially be able to contribute to their big league rotation, and the third was expected to become arguably the best catching prospect in baseball. Obviously, we're talking about them in the front half of this episode, so none of that happened.
1: Yes. um, I want to start hot out of the gate, and I've already alluded to him, but Diego Cartaya is my first disappointment this year. I was so excited for what Cartaya was going to do, and he was a step higher on the ladder than Dalton Rushing was coming into this year. Rushing was going to be the guy in high A because Cartaya needed everyday reps behind the dish in double A. I was so amped because Cartaya was sharing a roster. I think we IDed Tulsa with that starting rotation. Like he was catching Sheehan and Frasso and Estrini and Hurt and Knack. Like he was catching everybody mm-hmm. in Tulsa. And then offensively, you had him, you had Vivas, you had Eddie Leonard, you had Andy Pajes. Like so many guys were just stocked in Tulsa and Cartaya was the best name. He was a consensus top 20 prospect in baseball coming into the year. And Diego Cartaya this year played 93 games in Double A in his age 21 season, hit a buck 89 with a 656 OPS, hit 19 homers, 57 driven in, but he punched out 117 times in 400 plate appearance. So it was a high 20% K rate. He hit under 190. The OBP was under 300. It was a year from hell for him. And I frankly was not expecting that. I was expecting him to – Frankly, hammer double A pitching, and we didn't get that at all.
0: Yeah, I, I was gonna say. I think you said consensus. I think he. I think a lot of people had him as like one of the the top 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 overall catchers in in the minor leagues, and for good was, reason. Like there's a lot to was like Alvarez and Cartaya coming into the year. Those I, were ones. Did two. we have him in the top twenty? Because I remember being pretty pretty worried about him. I thought but, we did have. But him we might. We had 20. him up there. I can promise you, we had him higher than we have him now. And mm-hmm. guarantee that. But, you know, there was definitely some some red flags going into 23. But at the same time, like the guy hit 22 pumps the year before in 98 games overall slashed what 250, 382, 491. Yeah, I mean, this this guy was a consensus top 20, top 30 prospect. I mean, he did that in his age, what, 20 season and did that while while looking pretty good behind the dish. What's crazy is you mentioned these numbers, dude. What stands out to me is the EVs drop. I mean, his 90th percentile drops by like a, a full tick. And you look at the swing, you look at at bats. This guy was selling out, selling out to the side, just trying to yank fastballs. And he got him like it, you would see him hit some of those fastballs. I think nine of his 19 home runs came on on four seamers. But I, I just felt like he was so exposed and anytime you spun something, you just really didn't have a chance. Guy hit a buck seventy against sliders. He hit even worse than that against changeups. Can you believe one twenty against changeups? Mm. I just I just don't know how one of the best prospects in baseball can can get to that point. Um, to me, it looked like he was trying to be Isak Paredes when you don't have the ability to do that in terms yeah. of of the bad to ball. Because again, you look at the pull side, you look at what he's trying to do, like. The EVs, I thought I've never been there to the degree that a lot of people give him credit for. Like he he had some good uh, out, power output at the lower levels and good environments and things like that. And and he looks the part. At, he's one of those guys where it looks like he probably hit it a little hard that, harder than he did. But this was never a 70 power guy. This was never a guy that had elite, elite juice. He is someone that needs to kind of get into it in the air and and, and sometimes pull the ball. And that's why last year, I mean, we saw him a ground ball rate of only 33 percent. Like this guy was trying to hit the ball in the air all the freaking time, but that's going to result in a low BABIP if you're if you're not you know making solid contact, contact which hit a two fourteen BABIP, and right. and result you know it's going, going to also give you a, probably a, a limited output in terms of your your your
1: hits and your overall numbers, and, and that's where he finished. It's crazy to me that you say that the EVs went down when he was selling out more and he's trying to go get fastballs. Shouldn't the 90th percentile EV jump like that should be the only thing that improves if you you're selling so? out for pull side juice. So that is I, I mean, that, that's concern number one. It's like, all right, you're you're trying to lean into this power hitting and catcher thing. You're trying to be, you know, the, the elevated Mike Zanino. Shouldn't the EVs be elite? And and they're not. A 214 Babboop is hard to wrap my brain around. Yeah, that's really hard to comprehend and launch angle of 25 degrees. Like, Dude, that's infield fly city, man. Yeah.
0: So he was at 20 degrees, 21 degrees the year before. Um, Like that's top. You know, that's kind of as, as high as you want. You know, you can get in the low 20s. You know, If, if again, you got to really hit the ball hard. Uh, so to, to get to the 25 degree area, like that's tough, man. Average launch on homers is what? Like 17 degrees around there. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, line drives are going to be between 10 and 20. If you're living between 10 and 20, you're hitting 700, I right? Like <laughs> balls that are hit yeah. between those, those degrees are generally like, you know, the, the highest BABIP, uh types of batted balls. So definitely a, a frustrating year and just not a lot of line drives period. It just seemed like, like you mentioned, pop-ups or or weak fly balls um, and just, just not a lot of in-between. Um, when he catches them, he catches them. But, you know, even the max exit velocities, I don't think we're up to par with, you know, what people maybe give him credit for power-wise. Max of 109 last year. Like, that's that's fine. It's not, um, but it's not good enough for no. a 6'3", you know, tank of a catcher. And then, you know, depending on who you ask, a lot of evaluators feel like he's gotten a little stiff behind the dish um, that, you know, he's kind of, Thickened out. So, even more so, you'd expect to see more from the power department. So, this is a big year for him coming up because I I am very concerned. There were the red flags at the end of 2022, uh, but still a really good season that kept him as one of the best prospects in baseball at his position. But there were some, there were some, yeah, I would say yellow flags. And then now you get a bunch of red flags at, at the upper levels. Yes, he's young, but if it doesn't happen for him next year, He's going to start falling like a rock if he isn't already.
1: Yeah. Next guy for you. Next guy for me is Caleb Killian with the Chicago Cubs. Um, It was really hard to watch him considering where I think the consensus was at in 2022, especially at the beginning of 2022. Everybody was amped for Killian coming into the 22 season. And the, the Chris Bryant trade arc is fascinating to me. Because we were kind of living it in real time. And me as a Chicago native, I was like, wow, that's really sad. You know, Chris Bryant was the guy that brought that fan base in my hometown, a a World Series championship for the first time in 108 years. The return was Canario and Killian. And at the beginning, it was, okay, Canario's the headliner, but Killian's had a pretty solid year. He had an excellent finish to 2021 after the trade. He led minor league baseball in, in strikeout to walk ratio. It was ridiculous. 2021 between what high A and double A, 112 punchouts, 13 walks. So coming into 22, it was like, all right, this guy's going to, you know, start the season in triple A, he's going to look good for five starts, and then he's going to be part of the Cubs rotation in 22. That wasn't the case. He had an ERA in the low of mid fours in triple A in 2022. In 23, I was like, all right, I watched this guy hit 99 miles an hour last year. 2023, I watched him hit 99 again. How does 99 result in the mid-fours again? And how does the K rate drop like this? And how does the command dissipate like this? It, it felt like he was getting tattooed because he was leaving 99 over the heart of the plate. And it did feel like he was a bit timid at times. The location was odd for me. And it, like." Every pitch was just kind of blending and they were all either over the heart of the plate or they were missing badly. It was he was a really tough watch for me as somebody that is a pitching junkie that was really rooting for that guy to be a consistent piece in the Cubs rotation. Dude,
0: you talk about like everybody being excited about him. I I think I had him ranked as like. The, one of the best, if not the best arm in the system at one point. Like I, And I know that was more of an indictment on the system, but I was really excited about Killian. I was, the way he finished that 2021 season, it was the 2021 stretch right at the end, like you mentioned, where he was just lights out. Um, it was ridiculous. Look, yeah. yeah. So comparing the data, it's very interesting. To me, it kind of looks like a guy that's tinkered and tinkered and just gotten so far away from where he was and where it worked. So you look at the – I guess just kind of the the first of all the release data and just like, like that side of things. 2021, he had a release height just a smidge below six feet, uh, but was getting extension of six eight. You know, so for her reference, you know, MLB average is like six three. You know, roughly on the extension side. Um, so above above average extension there, um, and that's going to help the fastball play up a little bit. Um, and then again a slightly lower release point. Then in 2022, that extension drops to 6.3 6.4 and his release height jumps a little bit too so those are two things that you don't want for a four seam fastball and then by 2023 the extension he gains a little bit again but the release height now jumps all the way to 6.3 6.2 6.3 at a 6.2 I should say actually it's closer to that 6.2 release height. you're almost at that point better off throwing either sinkers or you better have a fastball that's like Justin Verlanders with 19, you know, nineteen twenty 20 inches of, of vert from that high of a release point. He has about 15 inches of vert. So he's gotten to this higher release point, um, still is diminished in terms of of extension from where he was before. And the fastball still has the same shape. So I don't know what the best course of action is. I don't know if it's starting to a- adapt to sinker. And, you know, they actually kind of did that a little bit more with him. Like he yeah. started to lean into that a little bit more, but I don't know if he has that sinker action. Like, I don't know if he's able to generate that. So I feel like he's in a, you talked about not having the confidence. I see a guy that's like in a tweener spot with his fastball and can't really get back to where he once was. And the, the characteristics are just very hittable. I think it's a very easy to see fastball. So I think the best course of action for him at this point is trying to find a, a sinker that works for you, a two seamer sinker type and be a ground ball guy. Cause I just don't think he's going to get back to low release, good extension 99, which even then like that, there were some shape and characteristic things that were a bit different that probably wouldn't have
1: played great at the highest level. So there were, there were things that made me think this guy is timid and he may be the most confident person in the world. I, I have no idea, but just from watching full starts several times over the last two years, it, it seems like every time I called a guy like this guy's start, it was a different arsenal and it was different usage every time. It felt yeah. like he was constantly tankering. So I think that's why I say that it seems like he lacked confidence. Um, I, I hope that he figures out an arsenal that works for him, but I'm telling you, it was... He's got five pitches. I have no idea which one we're going to see the most. Well, and, and the rubber.
0: yeah, I was say the last thing. I think you mentioned it there is, is the breaking balls just weren't good for him. You talk about them blending together. They absolutely do. And then on top yeah. of that, like last 15 starts of the season, which would be that range of which you, you saw him a couple of times. Uh, Curveball was fine, but didn't get a lot of chase. 18% chase rate. And moving on to the slider, though, he only landed that slider, which he mixed in about 15% of the time. For a strike at a 43% clip, yeah. chase rate of 12%, swinging strike rate of 9%. That's a legitimately bad pitch. That's like a don't even bother until you fix something with that pitch kind of kind of offering. So that's out of its really interesting too. Like 43% strike rate on the slider, cutter strike rate was, was not great. And he started to phase that out a little bit and the changeup just wasn't there for him. So he was really four seam sinker curveball. That's that's, that's tough when the when
1: the fastballs aren't playing that well either. Yeah. Um my last disappointing guy is a Minnesota Twin, Simeon Woods Richardson, and maybe this is an indictment on me, but I have such a soft spot for the fastball changeup guys. I think that there is a place in baseball for fastball changeup, especially when you do have a 12-6 kind of hammer curve. But I like I'm asking you the question. What the hell happened this year? Because he's a guy that I think is prospect fatigue a thing Simeon Woods Richardson? He's been around I, I, for I a think, long time. I think
0: if you were a guy that was relatively, like you know, considered a top one hundred guy, and he was always a hovering around that, you know, definitely a top one fifty guy, and then you're included in a big trade, and then you're one Multiple. of the better pitching prospects in your next system, I absolutely think you could be a, a a prospect fatigue guy, just not in the same with the same allure as some of the yeah. other guys, or it's lack
1: of a better word. He was part of several big trades. He was part of the return for Marcus Stroman from New York Oh yeah, to the, 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 Yeah, of course. Then he's definitely a prospect fatigue guy. So it was Stroman and then it was Barrio. So it's like, oh, you know, we're relying on Simeon Woods-Richardson. And then Toronto moves into Minnesota and Minnesota is saying, oh, we're relying on Simeon Woods-Richardson. I thought that he was going to be the five for Minnesota this year. I didn't think that Ober was going to take that over. Ober, Ober thrived <laughs> in that role. SWR... Put out a five era this year and, and just the difference between 22 and 23 for the most part he spent two thirds of the year in double a in 22 he made seven starts in triple a this guy had a two seven era in 22 starts between double and triple a in 2022 he was punching out nine and a half per nine he was walking three where did those go this year 113 innings he had a four nine era he had a whip after a 1.0 whip last year, he was punching out seven and a half per nine. He was walking five per nine. So honest to God, I'm asking you like, what the hell happened? He lost a tick on the fastball. Yeah. That's
0: phase one, phase two. So imagine you lose a tick that already, you know, that's a classic thing that we'll see. Obviously numbers are going to get worse. And then he had a lot of those underlying, you know, pitch characteristics, Adjust to. So imagine you lose a tick, you start releasing it from 0.2 feet higher, and you lose some extension. You get a fastball that got hit to the tune of, well, what do we get here? Over 600 OPS. Yeah. 295 batting average against. Yeah. So that's one side of it. And then the other side of it, dude, is, I mean, what I loved about Woods Richardson, I think why you loved him, because this is like, I know your soft spot is also just like pitchability guys. You just like guys that can finesse and, you know, hit their spots and and do those different things, especially from a broadcaster's perspective. When you're calling those games, I'm sure it's way more enjoyable when a guy's cruising and hitting his spots and whatever. But that's also just been, I think, a a type of player that you've always enjoyed. And Woods Richardson was exactly that. I mean, I remember talking to a couple of guys that faced him in 22 and they were saying, yeah, it was kind of annoying. Like, you didn't feel like you were overmatched or anything like that. You felt like you could you could try to be on it, but everything was moving in a different direction, and it was just really hard to get your best swing off. And yeah. I think this past year, you could kind of eliminate things. Like, the slider, he was only landing that first strike around 55% of the time. Curveball, he was landing for a strike around 50% of the time. So the changeup's good, but okay, I'm, I'm banging both of those curveballs. All right, land those. And, and even if you land it, it might not be good enough for me to you know, whiff, I might still be able to spoil that. So I think hitters were really eliminating spin and they were sitting subdued fastball down a tick from where it was previously or a good changeup. So make him bring it up from a higher release point. It's a lot easier to do.
1: And that's why Woods Richardson, I think had the year that he had. That stinks. Do you think there's a bounce back in here? Does it stem from fastball velocity?
0: I think there is. I think it's a little bit of like
1: mechanics. I think he lost something in the delivery.
0: And then I think he was just trying to find it. Um, I, I think it's there. I mean, the the, the fastball, like care, like the data in 22, dude, he was getting to 25% in zone with, he was getting chase rate almost at 30%. I know it wasn't the same level of competition, but he was still doing that in the upper levels. I think it can be in there. He just turned 23. He's just, he's got to find, he's got to find the spin. Like he, we talk about the supinators, pronators. He's definitely a supinator. Or so, excuse me, he's definitely a pronator. He's got to find the supination, be able to to spin something a little bit better. And maybe he can change the grip, change the way he throws his breaking ball. But he needs that.
1: Yeah. Last guy for you. That was it. Those are my, that was it.
0: That was it. That was three.
1: All right. Now it's it's my turn. It's your turn, man. Who are your three
0: disappointments? Yeah. So (laughs) I was trying to figure out which way to go in terms of like, you know, there could be guys that I was super excited about going into this year and then, you know, just, fell flat, like we mentioned, or it could be a guy that was like, it can't be worse than last year. And then it somehow was. And I want to yeah. start with that guy. So Cole Wynn. I, I know that people probably weren't expecting a ton out of Cole Wynn and 2022 was probably Cole Wynn's disappointing year, right? That's where people are talking about him, the Texas Rangers prospect as the disappointing guy. But that said, I, I just, he was disappointing for me because I didn't think it could get worse Like, can you kind of lay out the numbers in 2021, the numbers in 2022, and then the numbers in 2023? Like 21, he was looking like one of the most well-rounded pitching prospects in the game. Then 22, he falls flat on his face, battled some injuries, battled other things, whatever. Even though I think everybody was, you know, kind of moving off of him in terms of where he once was, I still was holding out hope that he could turn into this back end of the rotation starter, rediscover some of those things in his age 22,
1: 23 season. He was worse last year. Yeah. You know, that video of the volleyball player, like getting, getting a spike right to the face. And then she's laying on the ground and she gets another spike to the face. Uh-huh. Like that's kind of what this 23 season was for Cole Wynn. So for perspective, 2021, 86 innings, Win had a 2-4 ERA, 11 Ks per nine, three walks per nine. 2022, 121 innings. So he upped it big time, but a six and a half ERA, Ks per nine dropped by two, walks per nine doubled to six walks per nine. What happens in 23? 101 innings. ERA goes up three quarters of a run to seven, two, two in 101 innings. That's a large sample. Eight and a half Ks per nine. So that's down from a bad 2022. And seven walks per night, 101 innings, 79 walks issued. How does that happen? Twice. Do you remember people were telling us in our replies? I think it
0: was a Rangers fan saying that he took a ball off the shin in 22, and that's why like things weren't going right and whatever. Like, I mean that shin
1: still barking, man. What like, like, like what's going on?
0: I really feel for him. I really do because he was on a fast track, like it seemed, and it was. It wasn't just that Cole Wynn was was putting up the numbers that you mentioned in 2021. He was doing it with like a mixture of three potential big league pitches and just a a rhythm. And I know the command wasn't perfect, but there's was just a rhythm to what he was doing, and he just felt like he could you know, fill up the zone at least you know, through spurts with with several different offerings. The fastball was averaging 19 inches avert, you know, in 21, and I think that was something that stood out too, right? He was. He was really spinning the baseball. And look, I think there's more to it than the crackdown on sticky and stuff like that. But it is worth noting that, you know, from 21 to 22, he loses two and a half inches of vert. Um, he loses, you know, over hundred RPM, but it is also worth noting that he it, through some of the struggles totally changed his delivery. And, and some of those things, you know, may have impacted him as well. Um, but just to lose the command the way he has, I mean, do, do you think it's almost like a version of of the yips, right? Where he's like now just made some adjustments and made adjustments and made adjustments to try to get back to 2021. And similar to what we are talking about with, with before is like now he's just so far gone that he almost needs to go back to square one.
1: If I were to guess, it would be a combination of that and being terrified of PCL hitting. Yeah. Um, and I like at some point he needs to you know, come to the conclusion that he he can't be terrified anymore. If yeah. he wants to be a big league pitcher, you, you can't be scared of the environment that you're yeah. pitching in.
0: Well, you know, what's interesting too, is you mentioned that, and you mentioned like maybe it being less about command in terms of, you know, I'm incapable of throwing strikes and more about, you know, being timid. He's thrown his last three, starts so throwing in the winter league right now. Um yeah. His last three starts have been really good. Um, Four innings, Two walks, no runs, four K's. Five innings, one run, one walk, five K's, five innings, one run, two walks, seven K's. I mean, two, one, two in the walk department and turning over lineups and filling up the zone and only giving up seven hits. I know it's not triple A competition, but he's not playing, you know, bums either. And the way he was throwing last year, that that wasn't playing in double A either. That wasn't playing maybe anywhere the way he was throwing. So there are some encouraging signs given what he's been able to do over the last you know few starts. And it, it's rare to see a player that even once had wins pedigree as a pitcher ever go to the winter league. Like they don't waste bullets there. And that's where it, it is at for him. He was landing he, his fastball for a strike like 50% of the time. Like he, I think still, it was largely mental. I think that's why they sent him there. And maybe this is the confidence he needs. I, he really disappointed
1: me but I'm still going to hold out a sliver of hope going into 24 I think I am. So you know who I saw turn over a lineup a couple times and I think it was 5 no-hit innings or might have been 6 innings of one-hit ball was Daniel Lynch. <laughs> and like this is That's kind of the same thing. It's kind of the same thing. I know. Um you know maybe these guys just need that quick change of scenery and they haven't had the change of scenery when it comes to trades or minor league free agent deals but I think if Texas can look to move this guy, that might be the best thing for Cole Wynn. Like I yeah. do think that this is a change of scenery candidate number one in that organization. no doubt. um
0: and and I I hope he does get moved because that you know they've got other guys that are battling through some things too, like Owen White. I think I'd rather. Give the time to Owen White. Obviously, a Jack Lighter, like he's got a lot more going for him. I could see Wynn kind of being that that odd man out, and and maybe regained a little bit of stock with the way he's thrown in winter ball. Like a team could see that and say, hey, uh, might be worth a flyer for us here, and see if we can unlock something out of the newly turned 24 year old. Next guy for me is a little bit on on the other end of more, kind of considered a top 100 prospect depending on who you asked before this year, and included in the big trade. Jose Salas traded over from the Marlins to the Twins, and he was in that Luis arias Pablo Lopez deal. And it's funny because you know Marlins. I, I think just the general consensus was, why did the Marlins have to attach a arguably their best prospect to to such a deal? Um, and and also I think the consensus was Marlins got fleece. Marlins got fleece. In a way, like in a, in a vacuum, like Lopez is definitely more valuable because of what he's done. But I mean, Arias at three fifty, so it worked out. The fact that the Marlins had to attach a prospect to that was a very big topic of conversation. I also attached Brian Chorio, uh, but Salas switch hitter, obviously older brother of, of Ethan Salas, the wonderkin catching prospect. It was a rough year. And, and this was another guy struggles at the lower levels, gets put on the dev list again, goes and hits at the complex, then comes back at the end of the year. You have the numbers in front of you. Also another guy that's playing in the winter league right now. And, and, also struggling. Yeah. What is uh what do the Salas numbers look
1: like from 2023? 2023 95 games, 93 of which in high A Cedar Rapids, hit a buck 88 with a 263 OBP. He slugged 268. So that's a 531 OPS. Uh punched out 99 times in a, under 400 plate appearances. So high 20% K rate. Hit under 200, slugged under 270. This is a year from hell, and he's getting on base at a 230 clip in in the Venezuelan Winter League. Granted, he's eight years younger than the average hitter, but you know he was there when he was 17 years old, and you know you, you would think after several years of pro ball, you could up the OPS from 412 when you're a 17 year old past 471 when you're a 20 year old. But that's just not happening right now for him.
0: Preseason, I think top 100 guy f- by prospectus, you know, who we're usually on you know, the same page with with a lot of our rankings. Yeah. And and I know fan graphs had him very high. I, a lot of people were like, how could this guy be moved here? And I think that's part of the reason why it was a big disappointment. I've obviously been watching Salas since the backfields down here in South Florida. You know, when I go spring training time in Jupiter. Real, really nice feel to hit from both sides of the plate. And you looked at him and you're like, okay, he might not stick it short, but he can continue to, to fill out and turn into this impactful bat, you know, and, and, and balance maybe above average hit above average power. There wasn't a ton of whiff last year. I mean, the contact rates were fine, but it just, the ball didn't go anywhere. The exit velocities weren't good. The quality of contact was not good. And the approach is just kind of iffy and, You get that year from hell. So Silas with the twins, definitely a disappointment, still just 20 years old, but it seems like he's kind of lost with how they handled him this year with the dev list complex, all that stuff. Seems like they're kind of trying whatever they can at this point.
1: It's clearly, I, I think we looked at this deal as mutually beneficial as soon as it happened. I think if Salas had a breakout year, we'd be looking at this as a massive Twins win. But I think we're going to continue to look at this as, you know, one of those very even deals, um, you know, and it may go through some several like iterations, I guess. Um, I, I I do think that that Diamondbacks Blue Jays Varsho trade is going to go down as even, even though right now it looks wow. like is winning it. I think is really good man. I think he's due for a bounce back. But I do think that we're looking at this trade 2 years from now as very even because yep. Salas but the prospects know, don't don't, don't, don't separate. It. Exactly. Right. Exactly.
0: Last but not least, Mason Hour Rays. Just so I was just so amped on. If you listen to the show for a while, like I was gassing Mason Hour up. So, if you own fantasy shares or something like that, I mean, I'm sorry. Um <laughs> I was very excited about this guy. I mean, just tools galore in the outfield, and and again, I saw him in the Arizona Fall League, and he looked really good there. Uh, and I watched him take BP, and I talked to him, and I was just very impressed by the way he went about his business. I still think Hour can be good. He's 22 years old. He was a JUCO guy, uh, and it was a big leap to Double A with the tack ball and all that good stuff. And you know, contact was never going to be you know, the, the, the forefront of his game, I kind of t- talked about him like this, you know, kind of poor man's Tyler O'Neill to a degree. Um, and, and now it's just maybe just Tyler O'Neill, but yeah. I just, I was so shocked at the struggles, man. You look at the numbers in double A. I mean, what? 204 with a six thirty 30 OPS. Um, the, just, I thought that you'd have the speed power combination. He was walking a little bit at points last year, I thought at least you know he'd be able to to put
1: together a decent slash line, uh, but it just it just wasn't a, a great year for him at all. So in terms of double A hitters, I've got some complex guys here that punched out at like a forty five percent clip. So I'm sifting them out. Uh, Mason Hour. Let's look at K rate. Hour was fourth in double A baseball in K rate. He punched at a thirty six percent clip. Kate Bunnell with Atlanta punched at a 38% clip. Landon Stevens with Atlanta punched at a 37% clip. Uh, but then you had Aaron Zavala in Texas, who was a disappointment as well. Um, and then you have Hour at four. James Wood, by the way, at six with a 34% yeah. clip. But uh Hour was one of those guys that you know I think you were expecting to see in that area, but you were yeah. expecting him to have a better WRC plus than 72.
0: Yeah. You're expecting the palette, the 30% or 25, 30% K rate with 10, 11% walk rate, 20 homers, 20 bags. And you're like, all right, this is fun and chaotic. Like that's what we're looking forward to. I will say he finished the season strong. Um, And over the last 25 games had an 809 OPS, but also still struck out 35% of the time. So the the end zone whiff is really concerning. I mean, 69% zone contact rate is going to be tough to to survive with. And um, I just was not expecting that degree of whiff. Zavala also, you mentioned a disappointment, a guy that I was excited about that just really fell flat this year as well.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna throw one more in too. I'm just looking at the AA leaders right now in ground ball rate. Robert Hassel was that was the other Robert. name. I, I was. I was gonna talk about it. I'm just. I'm so. It just makes me too sad. Yeah, I know. He was top. He was bottom 15, I guess, in K rate, and he was bottom three in ground ball rate in AA. Like that's that's. I tough. mean, if you see his swing, dude. I just saw him in the NFL again too. I mean, open side,
0: you're there. Like just everything's forward, just lunging forward. It's it's. <laughs> It's just so hard to get a swing off like that. So, yeah, I mean, Hassel and Zavala easily could have been, you know, in, in this conversation, too. But we wanted to kind of go a little bit outside of the obvious. Flipping yeah. to the positive side of things, we're going to talk about some of the the most exciting and I, I think most of the pleasant surprises from the 2023 season in a moment here. But a quick break. All right, so hitting on the positive side of things here for the second half of the episode, and this is a lot more fun. We just get to talk about players who pleasantly surprised us. Yes. Jack, floor is yours. Um, yeah, I know you have a few names that I, I think it's worth noting. We're we're gonna have some first round guys in here because not well, most first round picks don't actually work out, but also because yes. it's relative to what our expectations were, and they had insane years you know relative to even those expectations i'm sure you could you could highlight you know somebody that was drafted in the 12th round and whatever but we didn't even have that much, that much of an expectation for them right like a uh, uh, to just give it away but just to make my point like a brady house top pick people had crazy expectations i began to get a little bit skeptical and then he met a lot of those crazy high expectations in a bounce back year
1: that's a pleasant surprise. Um, yeah. So maybe we lead with that. <laughs> I, let's start with House. Yeah, because I don't I don't think it was a breakout. That's my thing here. It's mm-hmm. we've already talked about breakouts. And while this could be considered the, the, good, the first good year in professional baseball for Brady House, it's not a breakout because we expected this. We didn't get it. And now he achieved our expectations and, you know, maybe surpassed them a little bit. They were veered off, I think, a teensy bit in 2022. And he was dealing with injuries in 2022. He only played 45 games in low A last year and he had a 731 OPS. So what does he do this year? He doubles his game output. He played 88 games and he hit 312 with a slug just under 500. He OPS 860 between 36 games in low A, 16 games in high A. And then a month and a half, two months in double A as well. And in double A, this guy put together maybe his best spot. He had 324 with an 840 OPS. And man, like, yeah, the walks weren't there in double A. But he kept the punch outs in check, relatively speaking. And he flashed a bunch of power. Mm -hmm. I was really impressed with this version of Brady House that we saw this year. Uh, No doubt. And I think the big cue is he's healthy.
0: Cause the looks I got at Brady house were, I guess injured looks. And it's, that's the thing is like, you don't know what's going on. We talked about that with Robert Hassel and now he's healthy and he's still struggling. So it's, it's tough, right? It's really tough. But when you see a guy that definitely was, was going through injury issues is healthy and then performs like this, it's very easy to chalk it up to the health. And then when you look at the underlying data and you know, we only had a 45 game sample last year of house, uh, but a 90th percentile of one Oh one. Um, yeah. Just, just struggling to get the ball in the air, uh, which is something that he he still needs to do a little bit more. But just really struggling to get the ball in the air. And and you think about it, it's like that's not the Brady house that that we saw out of high school, and that's not the Brady house that is six three two twenty. Um. So obviously dealing with some different ailments, and and I think that very much impacted his ability to hit. But that on top of that, even his profile, like injuries aside, even if he had a solid year last year. If you told me that he'd get up to double a and actually do well and, and and not get blown up and strike out a lot uh, in his age 19 season. I don't know if I would have believed that. So he's a surprise on that front too. Like the fact that he was able to climb those levels and and succeed, as you mentioned in double a is remarkable. Um, And and I think he's far from a finished product because you mentioned the walks. I mean, he's still chasing at a 37% clip. He's still swinging at 54% Mark. Like he's still swinging way too much, but the power was there. The contact ability was there. He got the ball in the air far more, only a 46% ground ball rate. And a 90th percentile 107, Jack, he hit a ball 113 miles an hour. He literally just is showing us, hey, I've got juice. I just wasn't right last year. Check it out. And he has way more power in the tank. That's the thing is once he can, you know, the, the swing's flat. And I think that helped him make more contact. But once he can kind of generate a little bit more lift and, and be able to also make
1: some better swing decisions, this guy could be an absolute force this isn't the year 2024 isn't the year you don't think right I think 25 is the year where we see everybody come up Cruz will be up in 2024 and Dylan Cruz will will play center field I think this is probably the end of the line for Victor Robles as the everyday center fielder but 25 I do think you get your first taste of James Wood and your first taste of Brady House playing third base every day And, and I think that's when I can really buy into the product that Washington nationals baseball is going to be again. And I, I think that they're well positioned for 2025. I'm I'm hundred percent with you. I think it's going to be
0: really fun. I mean, there's a, there's a legit chance at a September call up if they want to. Um, but I, I'm with you. I think 2025 is the spot where we're going to see this core really come together and be fun. And I just hope, hope hassle can join them. Uh, right. But you know, we'll see. Uh, but if he was on his track that we thought he once would be on, man, this, this would be a really fun, you know, young core, but it, it already is still a very exciting young group. They got there.
1: Uh, next guy. Justin Crawford, another first round pick. Uh, and we had some dialogue before we started recording about Justin Crawford. It's like, are you sure he was a surprise? And I said, well, I mean, did you expect him to hit three thirty in 87 games in his age 19 season? Like he didn't spend any time at the complex this year. Yeah, That part
0: is remarkable.
1: Yeah, so 16 games. He was really underwhelming at the complex out of his draft year um, in 2022. But in 2023, 87 games, most part in low A, 69 of the 87 in low A. He played 18 games in high A. And this guy as a whole slashed 332, 392, 467 with 47 backs. And he only punched 69 times in 400 plate appearances. So he kept the K rate in check. He stole a shit ton of bags. He had eight triples in 87 games. And I was stunned at the slug number. It didn't come from homers. That slug number is not going to be high. But if this guy just accumulates doubles and triples with that game-changing speed, I really feel good about who this guy can become. Because as a 19-year-old, this was way better than what I was expecting in low and high A. Oh, definitely. Especially
0: when I looked at the swing, you know, I was like, okay, this is going to be, this is going to be interesting because he's a project, right? Bloodline. So he's six three, one seventy five. 175 You can dream on, on the projection. Um, you can go get it in center field too. And he was, he impressed when we watched it. And kind I of just came back to me as you were breaking that down. He looks really good when we saw him in the uh, futures game. And I know that's a short spurt, but he had some comfortable ABs. I was very surprised because, again, the swing's a work in progress in terms of getting it to a a place where it's going to translate at the big league level. But the way that he was kind of able to command his at-bats, the way he's able to kind of feel the barrel was impressive. And I think that's why he was able to hit 330, as you mentioned, in low A, because put bat on ball, run fast. And he did that. But he also made really good swing decisions for the most part, you know. and I thought was able to kind of hold his own. Um, my concern is, is that he put the ball on the ground 70% of the time. Um, and that's legitimately unsustainable. However, you alluded to the power and that there was just more there than, than people you may have thought. And I'm with you. That's the part that stands out the most to me. And that's why I'm excited about Crawford. If it can come together, hit tool wise, because he's six, three with that projection. And yet he slugged a little bit, some because of the speed, some because of the defense sucked. And, you know, that he's playing against, but also because he, he hit the ball hard in the gaps like he he squared balls up. He was not a slap hitter. He, he had a 90th of 103. He flashed 109s, plenty of 105s, 106s, 107s. With his speed, that's more than fine. And, you know, he's going to get stronger. And he was a young 19 at the start of the year. He had just turned 19. So I think he's absolutely a surprise from the lens of how he performed. Um, I am skeptical if this is going to translate in high A and it might be a little bit of a work in progress from there. But I think to your point, his starting point is elevated from where we thought it was going to be. I think we thought that there was going to be more fighting through it and just fighting to put up good numbers and full season ball right away. And he did that. So now it's can you get the ball in the air and can you try to match this production against better pitching? That's ahead of the you know ahead of where we thought they were going to be with him.
1: Yeah. And, you know, kind of speaking to your point, like. You said it before we started recording. We, we can't ding him for what hasn't happened yet. Exactly. We we can't, you know, judge this guy. For me, I think doing that is very similar to discrediting a guy because of a high BABIP. Um, yes. I heard it year after year with Tim Anderson. And I don't think that's what came back to haunt Tim no. Anderson. <laughs> yeah, five years him. later,
0: the BABIP caught you like now.
1: Oh, man, <laughs> he kicked in officially. Um just kind of ridiculous to me like at some point the results need to speak for themselves and i thought the results for a 19 year old and low and high a were were amazing no speaking results my last guy stay with me for this (laughs) justin henry malloy is the new king of the walk and he's going to be not greek uh but he's going to be a god of walks when he does get his big league chance i'm going to walk you through pretty much every level since he graduated high school he redshirted at vandy College summer league, 23 games after his redshirt freshman year, hit 267 with a 440 OBP. Redshirt freshman year at Vandy was one for 15, so hit 067, but had a 364 OBP. <laughs> summer league after that, 324 with a 523 OBP. Sophomore year at Vandy, 167, a 487 OBP. Then he goes to Georgia Tech, 308, a 436 OBP. Gets drafted, 2021 and low A, 271, a 388 OBP. 2022, high A, double A, triple A with a trade, 289, 408 OBP. Goes to the Fall League, where I know you saw him in Scottsdale last year, 306, a 438 OBP. And then this year hits 277 in 135 in you know, 135 games as a 23-year-old in triple A, 277 with a 417 OBP. His, if you combine every single stop that this guy has made since he graduated high school, his on base percentage is 426. Hmm. That's incredible. That is incredible. And the, fact, the fact that he tapped into power, had 23 <clears throat> homers this year. Walked 110 times in 135 games and showed decently at third base, right field, and a lot of left field. He's a part of the Tigers 2024 plans. Yeah. And we weren't expecting that. No, not at all. So that's
0: what I was going to ask you. I said, okay, you've got the track record of walks. What was the surprise for you this year? Was it the versatility? Was it the power? Was it a little bit of everything? Was it the fact that he's just still doing it
1: in AAA, like w- what was the surprise so that was a long way for me to walk through kind of the thought process for me it's like this motherfucker's doing it again in yeah. AAA over a whole year the power output was impressive 23 is the most he's had it at any stop he had 17 last year in similar number of plate appearances we upped that by six um for me it was handling triple a across a full season the way he did and we can talk about internationally pitching taking a dip all you want triple a pitching in general taking a dip all you want don't care with a 23 year old that showed a solid glove at the hot corner and in the corner outfield spots if i'm getting the threat of 20 homers i know that this guy is gonna debut and have a 380 on base percentage in the big leagues he can play left. He can play right. He can play third. I don't think they need him to play third, but I think you stash this guy in left field. He's going to be an everyday hitter for the Detroit Tigers for the next six years.
0: Yeah, I'd say the big surprise for me was maintaining that 15%, you know, a chase rate as low as 15% against that kind of pitching. pitching and then slugging 474. I just think to be able to slug that much, you know, he's never been a huge EV guy, gets the ball in the air, hits it hard enough, and yeah, we saw him just slug, which was which was really exciting because that really helps the profile as a corner guy. Um, and I, I'm with you. He's he's part of the plans this coming season. And he's going to get every opportunity to, you know, try to perform up there. And I think you he should make a decent transition just off of the approach alone. And we know I, the makeup's off the charts.
1: And I've seen like the Zips projections and all that. I, I see the projected lineup and all that. And it's factoring in Parker Meadows and it's factoring in Colt Keith but I just haven't seen Malloy's name yet. And and I constantly ask where is Justin Henry Malloy? <laughs> like I see Bigby's name. Yeah, cool. I agree. But you got to factor Malloy into this too. No doubt. Especially with
0: the ability to to kind of move all, all over a little bit. I think it's, it's a no brainer to have him in the fold. Not bad for Joe Jimenez, huh? No, no, they did really well there. I, th- the Tigers have a nice, fun little core, you know, starting to come together in their own, in their own right. Um, mm-hmm. Back on my end now, I got two Mets and a Brewer. We'll start with the Brewer, wrap with the two Mets. I'm going to go with Tyler Black. And Tyler Black, yes, he was a comp A pick with the Brewers. And uh, I I think had a pretty decent season, obviously, in 2022. So it's kind of similar to the Henry Malloy thing where, yeah, he he didn't really break out or anything like that. But I just was not expecting Tyler Black to – be capable of what he did in 2023, for lack of a yeah. better just descriptor, uh, maintains one of the lower chase rates you know, in, in the upper minor leagues, uh, running a chase rate around 19%. But beyond that, Black starts to tap into power. And I, I know Biloxi is an easier place to, to hit the ball out, but that's more to, to the right-handed pull side. It's not as much to the left-handed side of things. And also, he maintains some of that power output up at the AAA level as well. But it was just so much fun to watch this guy do his thing because he swiped upwards of, what, 50 bags, but then taps into that power. Uh, I don't know where the heck he's going to play defense long term. Uh, third base seems like the best option. Maybe he plays first. I don't know. But the bat's really what stood out to me. To walk nearly as much as you strike out while tapping into you know more power than you ever have with 18 bombs, 12 triples, 25 doubles. Uh, I thought that was what really no one could have said they could expect. I think a lot of people were excited about Black. I think a lot of people thought, okay, yeah, the bat-to-ball skills are great. The approach is great. The speed is there. But I don't think anybody expected the contact rates to stay well above average, the chase rates remain elite, and the power to tick up to at least average, maybe above with the way he's been able to tap into it. I mean, Black was, was a really impressive
1: player, no matter how you look at it from this past season. I was just so floored by his comfort level when I was watching him defensively and, you know, the speed, you can see that on the baseball reference page. You can see, you know, the 50 bags or whatever it was. Um, my thing is, you know, when we talk about some of these guys, you know, I, there are some things that I'll take away that, you know, you may not see in, you know, the video that you watch, and you're watching so much video and and it's good to kind of bounce off of you because I'll text you. Like, I think Brooks Lee's a good defender. You're like, really, let me look more into that and then it turns out that he's a pretty solid defender tyler black i said this guy's super comfortable you saw him play in nashville wasn't that your takeaway too yeah well it's funny because the the defense has been the question right where do we stick this
0: guy um, he got he got some looks in center he got some looks in other spots I, I think he's limited in terms of like you know he's not gonna be able to make these superstar plays he's not gonna grade out as a fantastic defender but to your point it used to look like he was rushed. It, looked, it used to look like he was uncomfortable trying to kind of be something he's not defensively. Now it's, hey, I'm just gonna nail the fundamentals, gonna make every play I'm supposed to make. And look, if I can't make that backhand in the hole because my arm is fringy, it is what it is. But I think he's kind of realized, hey, I'm gonna make everything that is makeable. And that's all he needs to do with that offensive profile. So I'm with you. He's just he looks far more comfortable than he's looked in the past. And that might be enough to hold it down at third um and, and and be a a, a fine option there. With the bat leading the way. What stands out to me to wrap up in triple A, he walked more than he struck out in triple. He slashed yeah. 310, 428, 514. And it's funny because you go from Biloxi, which is somewhat of a launch pad, and then you go to Nashville, which is one of the harder environments to hit in in minor league baseball. And his slugging percentage was nearly identical 513 in Biloxi, 514 in Nashville. So, that's the thing to me is this guy found a way to tap into some more power he's got this big leg kick and controls it so well it's like zach netto-esque with the way that yeah. he's able to control that um and tap into like a similar amount of power where it's like you wouldn't expect you know power is not going to be part of their game but all of a sudden you're like oh he's got 15 homers he's got 18 homers and that's going to translate really well to milwaukee where all of a sudden a lot more of those fly balls are leaving the yard I didn't expect 50 bags, 55 bags from Tyler Black. I didn't expect nearly 20 home runs. Maybe I would have expected a high 200s batting average, would not have expected a, a, a OBP over 400 and a slug over 500. Just absolutely surprised me in, in, in so many different ways.
1: I was going to ask you, how many bags were you expecting? Like 20, 25? Yeah, 25? <laughs> like yeah, 64 30? games last year, still 13. Yeah. I still- would have. I guess I would have said 20, right? If he played a full year, 20 to 25, 55 bats.
0: This guy, just everything clicked for him. And that's, that's always fun. Another guy that first round pick. So you know you can't call him a breakout 14th overall pick in 2022, but you know, just somebody that going into this year, I talked about one of the biggest omissions in the mid season update on our top 100 list, Jet Williams, Mets prospect to, I always thought he'd be solid, right? Good bat to ball, good athlete, you know, He's probably going to be a high floor, worst case, like John Birdie type, is what I always kind of saw there. But then you see what he does this past year, and guess what? Another outrageously patient hitter. (laughs) Um, Joined Tamar Johnson is like the only nineteen year olds to walk a hundred times in a season since what, like two thousand or something like that. It was some ridiculous stat like that. Um, But beyond that, you know, this is a five foot seven, five six build and he hit 13 home runs and they weren't cheap shots. Six of those came in the Florida state league, which is a graveyard seven more come in Brooklyn, which is a straight it's hurricane force wins half the time coming straight in from the water ball doesn't carry at all out of there. It's one of the tougher parks to hit in too. And then even gets a cameo up at double a And, and, you know, I think the fact that he was able to reach double in itself, was a big surprise to me in that age 19 season. But I think just seeing the power, the speed as well, like we knew he could fly, but to see 44 bags, to see the defensive versatility, I don't love him at short. I think he can get by in a pinch, playing second, playing center, which I actually think could be the home for him long-term. And again, walking more than he struck out in high A, just just shocking that he was able to do all of this as a five foot six guy to get on base at a well over 400
1: clip to slug you know the way he slugged I think this guy can really play so the exact number is first guy he and Tamar Johnson the first teenagers since 2005 to walk 100 times in a minor league season and there were let's see eight guys I think that walked more than 100 times this year in the minor leagues uh, Justin Henry Malloy, Harry Ford was on that list. Jackson holiday was on that list. And then you've got Troy Johnston and Tamar Johnson and jet Williams. Like it's, it's insane. What went about this year? Um, jet, I guess like the most surprising thing to me with him. Yes. Clearly the patience, but I don't know if I was expecting 13 homers. from. That's the what guy I'm that saying. Was, like, like, in the Florida State League and in Brooklyn, yeah, like that's way more surprising than the forty-five bags, I guess. Yeah, because you you just expect those like little muscle hamsters to be jitterbugs on the base paths when they get there, and if you get there a ton, then you're going to steal a bunch of bags. But 13's a lot for a nineteen-year-old.
0: Yeah. And then also the, the exit velocities just in general, just to have a 90th of 102 and a half, like I just wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting a 90th percentile of 102 and a half. I wasn't expecting exit velocities upwards of 110 miles an hour from that little yeah. frame. Like I, th- that is what stands out to me. So this guy's got the juice to to be an everyday big league player. And I mean that's why the Mets took him in the first round. Yeah. Another Mets guy, real quick to wrap up here is Christian Scott. And Scott is someone that I mean you could put him in the breakout bucket because of, you know, where, where he is now and, you know, where he once was, but you know, this was somebody that was on my radar and and I was excited about because he's a South Florida kid, same high school as uh, Jake eater um, and Andrew Painter. And, and just <laughs> over in uh, Calvary Christian and, and Fort Lauderdale and a guy that I've d- definitely kept tabs on and, You know, saw some changes in the delivery, was interested to see what that would look like and see if that could turn into better overall numbers, look good in the fall league. And I'm like, okay, this guy could be an arm. Uh, But what he did this past year, Jack, was on a different level. He was pretty dominant relative to anything I think anybody could have expected from
1: him. He had to be close to the minor league leader in strikeout to walk rate, right? 107 punch outs compared to 12 walks in 88 innings. 107 to 12 has to be there. That's 8.9 strikeouts per walk. Um, he did it in a different role than the last that I checked in on Christian Scott. Last time I watched Christian Scott was as a setup guy or a closer for Florida in 2021. Yeah, He was a reliever his entire college career. It wasn't start as reliever, matriculate to the rotation, and then you're drafted as a starting pitcher. It wasn't You were a starter in college and then, you know, you you turn into a reliever when you get to pro ball. He did the reversal of what's common. He went from full-time reliever to swingman to full-time starter. And in 19 starts for that guy to have that command and pump out a two and a half ERA is fascinating to me. I, I don't understand those guys. I don't get the rhyme or reason as to why there's immense success going from the bullpen to the rotation. I understand the latter because you're so used to pacing and you can empty the tank, but you see that way more often. So I guess I need to expect the unexpected. (laughs) So I I think what it really
0: boiled down to was he finds the change up and he talked about that a little bit. And I think he found it in the AFL. And I mean, that was a pitch for him in 2022. He was only landing that first strike 47% of the time. So he was fastball slider. That was it. It It's fastball slider. And That's a reliever, right? And then now you add that third pitch and the changeup was arguably more reliable for him than his slider. He landed the changeup for a strike 66% of the time. So almost a 20% jump in strike rate. And it was also nasty. Like the the shape totally changed as well where he started to get... 15 inches of horizontal movement on it all of a sudden, whereas he was using sometimes a split grip and just a different kind of changeup before. So it's a nastier changeup that he's throwing for a strike more. Okay, well, that's going to help. And so he starts using that pitch equally to the slider, 22% usage on the changeup, 22% usage on the slider. And so now he has two viable secondaries. And I think that really just helped him attack line attack hitters uh be able to kind of you know sequence a little bit better and just have that third look because the slider is good it's not great um, the fastball is a plus pitch and now the changeup is good so it gives him a plus fastball i think the changeup might be better now as a 55 great pitch and the slider might be more of like a 50 55 so it gave him that third pitch but now it also turned into a second best pitch so it was like two fold for him and that's how you see christian scott go from you know what was uh, like a low four ERA, mid four ERA in 2022 between low A and high A to this year in 2023, 23 innings in high A, 2280 ERA, then 62 innings in double A, a 2470 ERA. You talk about the strikeout to walk as well, just filling up the zone with the fastball. And that's the big thing too fastball from a 5.5 foot release height. It is just hard to pick up 73% strike rate on the fastball, 33% in zone with 32% chase rate, 20% swinging strike rate on the fastball. That is a 70 grade heater, actually like that. He just purely dominated with a fastball, good extension, low release gets on you quick. And he was just blowing it by guys pair
1: that with the finding of the changeup. Mets have a guy here. My last question for you. Do you think he makes a start for the New York Mets in 2024? Yes, I do. Because he's cut from the cloth. And this should have been maybe
0: one of the answers. Damn, who's the next Brian Wu, Bryce Miller in, yeah. in the in the mailbag? Here. Mm-hmm. Because you've got the low release, high carry fastball that just... Those are the guys that you could just jolt up there. Because yeah. those guys can get out just off the fastball
1: at 60 65% usage. Yeah, do you think he he probably doesn't bunny hop like a, a Budo full time or a vassal full time
0: or does Budo. he Budo? I think, I think he could jump Budo. I don't vassals probably ahead of him in the pecking order.
1: I would think so. But, but they after have good that, arms? Really, I mean, they have good arms, but like, there's no, no, no one that's standing out. They have. No, 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 no,
0: But it's cool. Like seeing these like Blade Tidwell now looking like a guy like vassal Scott. These are all guys that were not, top, top flight dudes. They don't have anybody really standing in the way. Um, I think it's going to be kind of an audition between those guys. See who stands out most at the upper levels. I think it'll, it'll be fun to see which of the three can separate themselves. Yep. That'll do it for this episode. If you can leave a, a rating, Let us know how we're doing. Uh, A review would be great. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Also, check out on JustBaseball.com, full written breakdown on the arsenal of Shota Imanaga, everything you need to know about him. Um, I'll also link that in the episode description. As always, thank you for listening. Look forward to talking prospects with you on Wednesday.